pit, we might as well get started. We uh, we uh, left off in uh, Colossians. We are in chapter one, still in chapter one. It is. Yeah. If you need one, they're right there. If guys, you have one there, Penny. Oh, you have your outline. All right. So we're just picking it up. I think we uh, we're working in 26 last week, dealing with the mystery, and uh, kind of works us up to 27, which is really about the riches of the glory, which is ultimately Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory, and uh, we know that He's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison, it's out of Second Corinthians four seventeen, and uh, there's a verse Romans eight eighteen says, "I'm confident that sufferings of this present time are not worthy compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us." So there's glory, all the glory that's waiting. Uh, Colossians three four, um, we'll, we'll, we will appear with him in glory. So our uh, our whole experience is a future glory you know that's our hope so it says in our Colossians passage the hope of glory and uh, what grounds do we have our, our hope in well the answer is found in our Colossians 1.27 Christ in us and uh, we know we were talking about the word of God it's to be fully known and um in 26, we know that it can be fully known because it's no longer a mystery. And the mystery religions that were uh, the main course of attention, as Paul addressed the Colossians, was as he was bringing forth, mystery has been revealed. And it's not only about the salvation for Gentiles, uh, but they would be saved as fellow citizens they would be members of the same body. And so we see in Ephesians 2.15, the Gentiles and the Jews are no longer two, but they're one, one new man. Ephesians 2.15. So a lot of that's that mystery. And he moves on. Then he says about the hope of glory. Colossians 21.27, there's a glory or a splendor or a radiance, a majesty and that truth that's just really uh, rich. It's unfathomable, really. What could be more deserving than that kind of language? What do you think of His majesty, the indescribable richness and divine splendor? And so here's Paul's answer. The mystery is that the Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory is now in you. That's what's in verse 27. He is not just, He's not above you, He's not beside you, He's not below you. He is in you. The hope of glory. Christ living in you. That's the ground, that's the foundation of it all. It's the very cause of your hope. So as we look in here, as he says, the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Himself. You know, that's what we long for. Really, that's really what we're really after. Uh, 
thing is, we have Him in us right now. Even though we're waiting for a future glory, the glory is right with us right now. He is our glory, isn't He? Amen. So being with Him, to know Him, rejoice in Him, and take in His beauty, that's the glory for which we hope. Let's hope that it's, that it's coming, but also that there is even that glory that we're experiencing now, but something even better is coming. So anyway, that's kind of the idea where we're at. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, and as we look at these deep truths of the fact, doctrine of Christ in us, what a mystery that would be, but to us it's been revealed. And Christ reveals more and more as we go through this book of Colossians. We desire to uh, know more and more of that great glory and Christ in us. In Jesus' name, Amen. So let's read that. Uh, let's read that whole section in 25. He says, "Of this church, I was made a minister, according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations." but has now been manifested to His saints, that's us, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim Him admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power which mightily works within me. Wow, that's how Paul closes out chapter 1 here. Um, when Christ is in us, it's a permanent residence in all believers. The indwelling of Christ is in really all the church, isn't it? He's also in us individually. Uh, it's made up mostly of Gentiles right now. They weren't included. So he, he speaks to the Colossians who were Gentiles, and he says, look what this mystery is. And then to see that you get in on this, and then he says, even further, here's something that was not really known in the Old Testament. That's the indwelling of the Messiah. The surpassing riches of the indwelling Christ. So, what, the hope of eternal glory? What's our guarantee? Christ living in us. So His presence is the anchor of what uh, heaven is. That Heaven is in future, right? But yet at the same time, the presence of Christ in us, and we know that He lives in us, that's what is the anchor that's how we know. That's why we know what this promise is. We could read all the theology that we wanted, but there is the aspect of knowing that He is in us, in our experience and such as we live. So it's a guarantee. A guarantee of heaven. A guarantee of what's in the future. That's a eternal honor and eternal glory and 
eternal blessing. Quite a quite a nice thought, isn't it? You're in Jeff City right now. You happen to be in a building that's in Jeff City. We're here today, but there is a far better place. So we're in Christ now. We have confident hope. We know we're going to be in glory. That's an unveiling with a few scriptures here. Let's uh, let's check that out. Romans eight nine. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. There it is in verse 9. It shows you that you have the Spirit of God, you have the Spirit of Christ. So, if you're not a believer, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't have Christ living in you. But if you are a believer... You have Christ in you, the Spirit of Christ, or Spirit of God. That way you don't. There's a lot of misconceptions on some of the Christians. They tell you that, oh, you're a Christian, now pray for the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, Doesn't work that way. Yeah. You're not a believer until the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. You don't become a Christian and then pray for the Holy Spirit to come in. And that is, like, taught big time. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of them. Yeah. And stuff like that. So they try to get you to go to get your get get your spiritual gift or something, so he, they can. Once yeah. you're a Christian, at that you very are. moment, right. He is passage. in you, and it's a permanent dwelling too. Right. That's right. First uh, Corinthians six nine. <clears throat> Do you not know that the unrighteousness unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither, um, you know what? It's it's nineteen. I'm sorry. Got that one nine. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? So really, having the Holy Spirit, being um, he, Him dwelling in us, is the same thing as having what the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ. And so He He lives in our our bodies in that sense. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ephesians two twenty two. It's all about uh, Christ in us two twenty two. In whom it's talking about a holy temple in the Lord. Now this is the body of Christ. It's fitted together. It's a holy temple. And 21, the 22 says, in whom you are also are being built together into a dwelling of God and the Spirit. So God, in the Old Testament tabernacle, or the temple, there was a room all the way back in the back, which was the Holy of Holies. That was to represent where somehow God lived, right? The Ark of the Covenant and everything was there. So that to them represented His very presence, even though He lives everywhere, doesn't He? He lives in heaven, but yet He lives in us today. We are the temple. The temple is no longer there in Jerusalem. There is no more tabernacle, but He lives 
in us. And there's another one on that one. Catholicism. They try to tell you that that's where the Holy Spirit dwells in the tabernacle. They have a little gold room and that's where they, every Sunday, they have to go, or day of obligation that's set up by man, that you go in there to receive your bit of the Holy Spirit for as long as the next time that they have a Mass. That's where the bread is actually put into that tabernacle that they have, right? So the bread that you eat, and of course, what at one time I think you ask your the real body. That's how they're saying that you get the Holy Spirit, though. So how do you get the Holy Spirit? Is what you ask your mom? The real body of Christ. Because they're saying that's what he said when he said, "Take this body." Okay, but where are they getting it from? The priest changes it into that. He changes it into the... He prays over it, and all of a sudden that bread comes present with Christ. (laughs) That's 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 what the whole Mass is actually about. That's why for a Protestant, I do not participate in any of their Mass. And would this be a reason why they have church every day? Because that Christ can. If you haven't lived up to what the expectations, then you need him every day. (laughs) How do you do that? If you go to church every day, she's where you get more grace. If you do it every day, and that's now hold it. Let's clarify what you're saying. So. Somebody that goes to church from Sunday to Sunday, then if they just do, they just take the communion once, they've got that in there. But if somebody else does it, does it erase itself out from the, you know, you go to church on Monday, you Tuesday, Wednesday. You have to make up for your sins. But, yeah. and, so, and having Christ or the Holy Spirit in you by partaking of communion, substance is and that's sort. how you get him in there. What happens if he leaves? Because Obviously you've sinned, right? You've done what a mortal sin, or no, how about even a venial no, sin, a venial right? Sin. A venial okay, sin, just yeah. A venial. And that's double your toe. He yeah. leaves if you do that. Then mm-hmm. he leaves. And that, you gotta go get some that's money. why you can lose yourself. You can go in and out of salvation from moment to moment, mm-hmm. and you. That's why you got to keep coming back to church, and everyone is to participate we in that communion. Eat every time we're here. What's that? <laughs> yeah, that, that's the idea. But we are. So so, of course, we partake of Christ. the idea that you can go to that Saturday night mass and then go out and get drunk? Oops. Well, you I were mean, covered for point? a couple of minutes. <laughs> of course, yeah. I think even, even to a Catholic, if a drunkenness is considered a sin, right, Debbie? Yeah, it's okay. a sin too. It's, yeah. just, it's just, yeah. Then you drag yourself back in there Sunday morning. That's well, right. You better go back in it. You better keep going back. See, I don't every day. I don't think most Catholics, like most Baptists, the next week. So what happens within that understand week? Understand what they're being taught. I don't right. think they get it. Right. I don't think they understand the doctrine, or you know, I don't think. don't either. I mean, some of my most no. religious brothers and sisters, I says it's the sacrifice of the mass. Well, that's not what it's called. I says, uh, pick up your missalette. Pick up whatever you do every single Sunday. It's called the sacrifice of man. I don't need to re-sacrifice Jesus Christ. He died once. Well, and very, very few Catholics really know that the Pope thinks he's God. 
I, I'm amazed at that. You can talk to Catholics well, all day long, and they have no idea. He's reincarnated Christ. Yeah, they have no idea that that's what he's. He's just, you know, the Pope. <laughs> Real important God, guy. God's using that man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I just think, that, and, I, and I see that with Baptists and, and Pentecostals. Yeah. They, 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 they think he's the head of the church. They don't know their own doctrine. They don't know their own church doctrine. Right. They do not know <laughs> what they're supposed to believe. Just, you know, whatever they don't know what they believe or yeah, why they believe. Whatever, they my don't. Church, whatever my church believes or whatever yeah. my pastor believes is what yeah. I believe. And you're like, and what is that? Yeah. That's frightening. They call it blind faith. I kind of don't think that Jesus is living in them. <laughs> I kind yeah. of think that they're all They're depending kinda, upon whatever that their church says. Or, mm -hmm. And if they believe enough, to, okay, I know I have to partake of this communion because this is how I get Christ in me. Now, her mom would have known that. But I don't think most Catholics would even, See, I don't even really know Catholics, that that's having Christ in you. Right. I don't think they really understand like you're saying that the Pope turns it into real, the real body of Christ. I don't think they know. They're just eating a little hunk of bread and some, because that's what you do. Yep. And, and, that, and that's that's being religious. my mom was very, very scared for me because I wasn't doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, she actually really believed that stuff. Yeah. And here it is. We're looking at scripture, and here's what this is. It simplifies it. Galatians 2.20. The reason what we're doing is we're saying, oh, this supports all the other verses. We're not making this up when we say Christ lives in us. But we can see other people have interpretations of Christ in them, that literal physical body of Christ in that bread or whatever. But Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and He gave Himself up for me. Crucified with Christ. And now He lives in us. Ephesians 1.7 Christ in you. The hope of glory. In Him in Him. So we're in Christ. Christ is in us. In Him we have redemption through His blood, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. It's, there. it's being in Him. That's how we have been redeemed and our sins have been forgiven. Verse 17 and 18 Speaking about that glory since we're right of Ephesians 1. Let's take that. He's praying here that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of what? Glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? That uh, one passage there that talks about that they will know what is the hope 
of His calling, what are the riches, glory of His inheritance. I say that quite frequently for our church, for each individual. Know the hope of His calling. What those riches are, that glory. That's what drives you to have a relationship with Christ even more so knowing that He's what this is all about, isn't it? About Philippians 4.19 My God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So, and that's right now, isn't it? Not just the future, but all our needs takes care of. And it's according to not out of a, a little bit out of his wealth, his riches, but according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It's all in Christ. Christ in us, we're in Christ. What a relationship. So that passage there is uh, rather incredible. It talks about at the end of this, this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he says, 28, we proclaim Him. We preach Him. Um, this is the proclamation of ministry. Now, he's talking about his ministry. Right? This is really the ministry of all us. All of us, really. But this is what he had brought forth to the Colossians. So he has a goal. The goal is to make mature Christians. That they are fully grown. It's done by preaching, admonishing, and teaching. So when he uses that word proclamation, it's a word for preaching Him. We preach Him. So if it's Christ in you, I want you to know how much that really means when we say that. That's the idea of what Paul is saying here. So he does it by preaching it, proclaiming it, admonishing it, um, Modish it something like uh, in the aspect since we have so much uh, battles against sin we have to be admonished sometimes to you know defeat that sin not let it uh, bowl us over and tangle us and so it's, it's a correction or it's a warning before it happens or correcting after it happens. It's a pretty powerful word. It's it's counsel in view of the sin and punishment of that sin. So he corrected them there. He admonished each one in in his ministry. Look in Acts 20 verse 31. It's dealing with the uh, Ephesians there as he was uh, in that area meeting up with the Ephesian elders. And I, I say verse 31, Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day 
for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. He admonished them. He warned them. Counseled them. So it's something because he knows that it's uh, it's a tough world out there. But this is a ministry that was assigned by not only Paul or to Paul, but it's assigned to us too to keep each other accountable. Christians are to admonish each other. If one is found in sin, what is one to do? Admonish them so that they would keep from sinning more. And there's you know, a discipline that's involved with all that. So that's one thing that Paul says here. We proclaim Him admonishing every man and teaching every man. This is the idea of imparting truth. Uh, there can be a formal setting, but there's informal settings. There's always opportunity to uh, teach. You know that the ones who are leaders are commanded to teach. So teach, preach. So we see that he does that teaching every man with all wisdom. All the admonishing, all the teaching is to be done with what? Wisdom. It's understanding. It's taking biblical principles, being able to take knowledge and then live it, apply it. So Paul brought this fact that there's admonishing, there's teaching, and he does it with what? How does he give them wisdom? Or how does he do it in wisdom? The Word of God. (laughs) Nothing secretive. It's doctrinal teaching. Uh, When we do doctrinal teaching, or when we do, let's say we're going through this book, or the book of Luke, we can see that there's a lot of uh, room for teaching there. Well, certainly, time to get in the Word of God and do that. But there's a lot of room there for admonishing too, isn't there? And that's that's what's happening there. That taking that doctrinal teaching and using uh, it in a way that using wisdom to to admonish us all, and that leads to maturity. That's where his real goal is: is to present to Christ complete, mature believers. So there's the proclamation of the ministry found in uh, verse 28. We proclaim Him admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom. And here's the goal. And it's actually number 5 on your outline. It's 28 and 29. So that we may present every man complete in Christ. If you know about Christ in you, the hope of glory that you're on your way of becoming complete. When will we become complete? It just goes on and on, doesn't it? We all are to be mature, but to continue to be more mature. It is just like you become a Christian, find out, I'm safe, my sins are forgiven, and then that's it. We have to have teaching. We call that fire insurance. Yeah, right. But he says to disciple, to teach, to preach. It's all about right here. This whole book right here is what it is. 
that's what leads to maturity. So, we see the purpose of this ministry to present every man complete in Christ. Um, go to Ephesians 4, 11-13. Gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. So these like pastor teachers, these evangelists, they're to equip the saints so that the saints would do what? Have a work of service. And what does that do? That builds up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, and here we go, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the, here we go, fullness of Christ. That's what we're being made into, the very image of Christ, the fullness of Christ, being made mature. We haven't arrived yet. But we're being made that way. And so what it is, is this teaching of the Word of God. So you don't look, building each other up. You don't get tossed to and fro. You, can, you know there's being missed. Yeah, that's the next verse. If yeah. you don't have proper don't teaching, know. what happens to much of the Christian realm? Well, as a result, verse 14, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and the deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth, the Word of God, in love, they go together. Truth, love. We're to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. So there's the, the, the church, and there's how the church is mature. It uses everyone in it, uses those gifts. Starts, But it's all about centered and focused the Word of God. That's the perfect people. And I says, no. Thank you. Thank you. Say, you just say thank you. I'm going to figure that out. I am. I'm we perfect. In Christ. Christ. <laughs> yeah, perfect. It's like we're perfect now, right? <laughs> just it's tell like, the saints are called. Somebody that's done Well, saints is set apart. So right. call that ones is a great way to set this out. That's a call that ones. Is that they said those who are in Christ are all called out. So yes, we are saints. Those who are in Christ are saints. And that's today. It's not past history. That's not by a decree of man. It's by a decree of God. It is nego electar. Oh, yeah. yeah. I just had somebody say, well, explain to me this narrow way. <laughs> All right. Whoa. I, and I said, How much time do you have? <laughs> yeah. I, I just I said, if you aren't a believer, a true believer, and haven't accepted what Jesus Christ did for you, you're okay. in the white path, not on the narrow you're road. You're doing it your own way. You're not doing Christ's way. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
Uh, how about Second Timothy, three, sixteen and seventeen. Tony, somebody bothering you? Oh, <laughs> are you kidding me? She, she probably thinks it's a quarter till eight there oh, or something. Yeah. Right there, hit an hour. Different time zone. Yeah. 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 You ever heard of that? Are you in a different time zone? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yes, you are. I said, why aren't you in church tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Where are you? You're late. She's like, what? As you mentioned time zone, it would be over with. <laughs> anyway. You know, you know what? We ought, to, we ought to start getting her. I wonder if she's got FaceTime on her phone. Put her on FaceTime. Yeah, we could do it she's live, tonight. couldn't we? Yeah. There you go. We FaceTime. Yeah. Okay, Second Timothy three. Hello, Frida, if you're listening. <laughs> okay, uh, all Scripture is inspired by God. That means the Word of God. All the Scripture is God breathed and profitable. What's it good for? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That's not like our Ephesians that we said earlier, wasn't it? That if pastor teachers these gifts and they give to each one, to each one in the body, then lifts up and affies each other. It's all through the word that they'd be equipped to do God's work. What's the equipment? You're being equipped. To use the Word of God to serve others, to do it in a way that would. Um, so that we have the tools we need. The tools. Starts with the best tool of all. Of course, the power of God's Spirit. <laughs> this is what this verse is about, this section. That it, it, it's about the uh, authenticity of Scripture and sufficiency of it. It's about. Though every word of God is inspired, it's inspiration. So, so it is profitable, isn't it? So that's why. And, and in all of Timothy, First, Second Timothy, Paul was telling Timothy, who's a pastor, it's a pastoral section, pastoral letters. He's saying, "Here's what you do in the church. You do have the ability." And here it is, focused on that. You have the ability not to say. Yeah. So, and the Word of God is to be placed right there as the focus. Otherwise, you get nothing but what uh, opinions, right? Oh, let's think about. Um, we were talking about the Marines the other day, Tony. One goes into the Marines, and they know what they're getting into. They know that this is tough, right? They make tough men. It's supposed to, right? So, what they do is they first start them off with what? Basic training. What they do is they stretch them out to as far as they can go almost, right? Oh, yeah, they break you down. <laughs> break you down before they can build and you up, right? Build you into what they want. I'm before just thinking, that's what the Word of God does. It takes us spiritually and does the same kind of thing. That word for training there, uh, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training. 
in being able to, first of all, have our bodies ready, physically, right, Marines. But in here, we're talking about a, a training in our righteous living, you know, in the spiritual aspects. So it, it's all, all of that. And so a Marine is to be equipped so that he can now serve the Marines and serve the American people to the very best that he possibly can. That's why they are considered to be some of the elite soldiers in, in all of the forces, right? So it, it's interesting. You take that analogy, and, but they have to be trained because if they are not trained correctly, how are they going to be able to fight and defend for our country well, and do the things that they're supposed to uh, do? To come to Christ, you first have to be broken, what you're sitting there saying. And literally the brokenness is to realize the depths of your sin right. and where you, where, you, where you at in it. And then it also the brokenness is to t show you who Christ is. And again, what, the more you learn who Christ is, the more broken you become, deeper and deeper do you realize how deeply your sins affect you and everybody around, but more importantly, you learn how it affects Christ Himself, and then, like I say, then there becomes a building up in that, too. The very Definitely, the He doesn't leave it right, open. Right, but, but fills it like, up. There's a tearing. There's a tearing down that He actually kind of does it yeah. Himself will. I like that analogy. That's pretty good. I was asking some questions about that, you know, because it it's, it's parallels what the spiritual. Uh, aspect does, you know, and knowing that there is, you know, there's an authority that, and the authority is, is, is right here. And it does, it builds us up. So, I thought that was pretty interesting to think about that. So, this is all, all what it's about. It's about maturing the saints, you know, the, the, uh, the heretics that Paul would been talking about or, or warning them from in uh, Colossians here, um, he says this word here, to make every man complete, or um, there's an, uh, a maturing there. See, the, the heresy teaching with all their mystery re uh, religions that they had was to bring to one to some kind of a high elite perfection. So Paul says, this is for your perfection or maturity, it's to come to a completion, a fulfillment, which in this life we will strive till Christ comes back. But anyway, it's only for a select few is what the mystery religions were about. Only a few could attain that. But in Christianity, all are to mature. But all Christians eventually will be made perfect. Some are not maturing very good at all. They will be. They'll be made perfect. They have a deficiency. And they're actually deficiencies in the scriptures. Are the teaching. Yeah. By the ministers aren't doing their job for those people. So, verse 29. For this purpose... Closing out this, this chapter and this thought now, you know, as he's been speaking about his ministry that he's involved with, and he wants them to come to that maturity and recognize who they are in Christ, Christ in you, and the hope of glory. This is pointing to future glory ultimately. But he says, for this purpose, 
also I labor. That's that word that means to work to the point of exhaustion. I labor. I think Paul did. I don't feel like I can identify with Paul very much whenever he says labor earnestly like he did. Uh, be to my dismay, you know, to work like that in ministry. Uh, in our day, it's you don't see that exactly what Paul had done. I think he was trying um, to make up for lost time. <laughs> he had so much time to, to give there. But it's about working hard. You know, as a Christian, living it, maximum effort, giving it everything. And it's hard. It's really hard. And that's why he uses these words. Labor, striving. It takes power to do that. It takes mighty work in you to do that. So that word for strive, guess what? We've used this much of the time. Agonizomai. From which we get our word. Agony. And it was used for athletic events, the Olympics and such. Straining, agonizing, giving everything that you have to it. That's what he says. That This is the purpose. This is why I labor. This is why I strive. So that you would what? Be complete in Christ. It's going to take a lifetime, but I'm here to make you complete in Christ. And here we are reading this stuff, and it helps us become more complete in Christ. It really does. Because, it's not because you yourself can do it, but here it is. According to His power. I think the word there probably is dunamis. From which we get our word dynamite. It's according to His power. So there's nothing that I can make happen to anybody in their lives. I have no kind of power to do that. I can read the Word, point the passages out, but I can't change anybody. Paul knew that, even as good as he was, and as much as he worked at it. He says it was according to God's power, dunamis. And then he says, which mightily, works within me all Christians so Paul qualifies and clarifies his labor here and his striving by giving all the credit all the glory to God's power and he could only do what he did by the power of God grace of God 1 Corinthians 15 10 But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove vain or empty. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Whether then it was I or they. So we preach and so you believe. This is... uh, right on the heels of verse 9 which says for I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God then he says but by the grace of God I am what I am I sure don't deserve it I'm the least shouldn't be called an apostle so what he had done he never forgot that but his drive is really a model 
for all believers, isn't it? So I think it's a glorious privilege to be able to uh, to know Christ, to serve Him, and that should characterize all of us, all believers. So a little bit about Paul's ministry. I definitely think it made an impact on the Colossians. Would you say that it's making an impact on us too? Yeah, because God is working work in us. I got a question. Historically, I mean, if you read God's word, you know the church is the body of believers. But it's been associated so much. When was the first building built that has been called a church? And which religion built it? I mean, the Jews had the synagogues. And that's where the apostles did their early teaching was they went to the synagogues first. But they did home. And church. then they did it in homes. Because they had no there was no was not a church building and church Yeah, they kinda of continued to keep meeting at the Jewish temple. But that's because that was the meeting place to go for any but event. Then to really get down and speak to the believers, they met in homes. Homes well, right next and to the synagogue. Not, because they didn't let women go. I mean, yeah, the those synagogues were really Se- segregated. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> not female friendly. Right. And then Gentiles were even further out. Right. Yeah. 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 So when Christianity came along and women got to be a part of that, in the homes, where are they going to go? <laughs> and <laughs> then, right. And then so, you see Paul including them in the yes. ministry. And some of them had church in their homes, and probably what happened is that it, you know, of course Paul would go to synagogues; they'd meet there. You know, of course that'd be anybody and everybody, Jews and Gentiles. I mean, uh, but Christians. A good but where was the first church building? Who did that? Was that the Catholic Church? Actually, there probably was some kind of buildings. You know, I I, I need to look at that little, make sure I've got some. Uh, better evidence, but as time went, you know, okay, people would want to uh, maybe have to have a bigger building. You know, maybe they're meeting in homes. Most of those homes really weren't that big, but as it grew, I mean, right in Jerusalem, what you had thousands right off the bat. And, you know, how are they going to listen to the apostles? So, but, you know, there we don't see anything about that we see it in the epistles where you have where they met in the homes. But that's um, but they were never to be that big though. That was never they were kept were supposed to keep dispersing it out and dispersing it out and dispersing it out. So Which is kinda of hard yeah. to do when you all live in the same place. Well but that was the thing that, <laughs> I mean that's what they were told by Christ. So they really the building thing was not probably really his or his Okay. Don't know if this is Factual. I ask, when do church buildings begin? The earliest identified Christian church building was a house of church founded between 233 and 256. Church. So that was that was back in the Okay, so it'd be, yeah. Because they only lived through the first century, so 
you know, probably somewhere in the third century or second century. You know, we don't. We I don't know if we even know uh, if we can really pin it down. But most most of them were built in either the eleventh through the fourteenth centuries and by the Roman Catholic Church. Then the Roman Church. Then and that's where you had the big edifices with all the things that would draw people there or religiously, I guess. Yeah. So. Um, I'm sure there were buildings that people were going to. And it was to. considered a house church, so it was still a house church. Well, there, uh, I can't think of what her name is. She she was one of them that provided it. And you were so much, uh, 